2: This is the Tom Hartman Program.
3: Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. The big news, of course, is the election last night, or elections. There were elections all across the United States. Virginia seems to be, and Kentucky seem to be, sucking up all the oxygen in terms of talking about them. But there there were some very, very consequential elections. I think, though, that what happened in Virginia, what happened in Kentucky, really are worthy of major play, some major conversation here. And the reason why is because of the issues that were involved. This is absolutely fascinating. A company called Data for Progress did a bunch of statewide polling in Virginia. And this was a week or so before the election, right? And they published this report. You can find it over at dataforprogress.org. And this was polling that was done a couple of weeks ago. And they said, and I'm just quoting from their report, support for free insulin commands majorities in every district polled. Across a full set of swing districts, support for free insulin was 79%, while opposition was just 10%. Of course, Republicans oppose, obviously, free insulin. By the way, the inventor of insulin gave the patent away for free. But, you know, now we've got drug companies making a fortune off it. How does that happen? Well, that's American health care. Uh, support for Medicare drug pricing negotiation was 73% across Virginia, as opposed to 13% opposed. So, you know, the the, the issue that the Republicans were were holding, which is, no, we're not going to let Medicare negotiate drug prices. Only 13% of Americans agree. The Green New Deal They said, you know, support for a clean energy transition, this was 62%. Only 29% of Virginians are opposed to the Green New Deal. And they tested a Green New Deal with a tax hike. They said, you know, would you support, here's the, the exact question, the Green New Deal is a plan to create millions of jobs by transitioning to 100% clean energy and investing in public infrastructure paid for by increasing income taxes on individuals earning more than $200,000 a year. Do you support or oppose the Green New Deal? That was the question that they were asking. And, and with that question saying raising taxes, 62% across Virginia, 29% opposed they have in their report they have it literally broken out by congressional district uh medicaid expansion do you do you support expanding medicaid to all persons in virginia 60 percent. again something that the democrats support the republicans oppose republicans don't want people to have health care they want them to be terrified so they'll be more likely to just you know take any old crappy job they can if they can get a little bit of health health insurance out of it i mean this is this is major stuff Virginia should become the 38th state to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment and to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. The Virginia Senate already passed both these things in the last year. Passing the Equal Rights Amendment and the 38th state, by the way, means that it becomes ratified, I believe. I'm pretty sure that that's the three quarters of the states. And raising a minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour. That was passed by Democrats in the state Senate in Virginia, but Republicans in the state House killed both those. Eight in 10 Virginians polled, showed, said that they support the Equal Rights Amendment. It passed the state Senate 26 to 14, but as I said, the Republicans killed it in the House. Two-thirds of Virginians wanted the minimum wage to go from 7.25 an hour in Virginia to $15 an hour. Two-thirds! Virginia, by the way, is now entirely run by Democrats. Virginia's also supported several gun control measures favored by Democrats. This is from a piece in the Washington Post, by the way, is where I'm getting this from uh, Gregory Schneider. With majorities supporting statewide bans on assault weapons, majorities supporting statewide bans on high-capacity ammo magazines, majorities supporting limiting handgun purchases to one gun a month, and decisive majorities supported expanding background checks and red flag laws. On abortion, statewide in Virginia, 63% say abortion should be generally legal in the first three months of pregnancy. 57% said it should be generally illegal in the second three months. 73% generally illegal in the third three months. But 63% say abortion should be generally legal in the first trimester. These are issues, and people are voting on issues, which is just like really cool stuff. And meanwhile, you know, Donald Trump goes to Kentucky and says, you've got to re-elect Mr. Bevins. And no, no, the good citizens of Kentucky said, no, thank you. We'll go with Andy Beshear. And also in election news, remember that woman who flipped off Donald Trump? This was in Virginia. She was riding her bike down the road and Trump's motorcade goes by and she gives him the finger and a photographer in the press pool in the back catches the picture. Her name was Julie Briskman. And once she was identified, she kind of became notorious, and particularly because the Trumpsters were, you know, hating her and threatening her and whatnot. Well, she decided, screw this, I'm going to get into politics. She ran for the Board of Supervisors, and last night, the woman who flipped off Donald Trump won her seat. Meanwhile, Mike Pence's hometown, Columbus, Indiana, the last time this hometown the city council majority was Democratic was 1980, right? 1981, the city council of Columbus, Indiana to Mike Pence's hometown went Republican with the Ronald Reagan majority. And they have been that way ever since until last night's election, when the Democrats took over the city council in Mike Pence's hometown. So, you know, there's a lot going on here. I see this as like really, really positive stuff. Now, feel free to argue with me and tell me that I'm wrong, but I think this is a very positive, these are very positive signs, generally speaking, and we're seeing similar signs all across the United States. People are starting to push back. People are starting to push back against the BS and the the crazy. I think, you know, perhaps one of the best examples of how people are pushing back actually doesn't even come from the United States. It comes from a multi-millionaire in Denmark. Seriously. Donnie Deutsch, his daddy started an ad agency in New York City. Donnie Deutsch inherited his daddy's business and continued building it. You know, he did a good job. He, he turned it into a couple hundred million dollar business and sold it. And he's now, you know, a multi-multi-multi-millionaire and a regular on MSNBC. Recently in a rant on MSNBC, Donnie Deutsch said, Medicare for all is gonna turn America into Effing Denmark. Effing Denmark? He didn't say effing easy, actually said the whole word, but I'm just gonna say that. So this guy <laughs> This was on Bill Maher's show, where Deutsch made this <laughs> insane comment, right? So this multimillionaire responds a danish multimillionaire and i'm sorry and the the article i have here is lacking his name for some reason but in any case here's what the guy said he said in effing denmark we spend almost half as much per capita on health care as the united states despite our lower levels of spending our life expectancy is higher our infant mortality is lower and our overall health is much better than the united states in effing denmark we deliver high quality universal health care to each and every citizen unlike in the united states which offers for-profit consumer choice systems that leave millions of your people choosing to be uninsured and hundreds of thousands of others choosing to be both insured and bankrupt just a little anecdote or just to add something denmark spends around five thousand bucks a person in the united states we spend over ten thousand dollars a person on health care Life expectancy in Denmark is longer than the U.S. by about two years, almost three years. And infant mortality is about half of the United States. 3.8 deaths per thousand births. The U.S. is 5.8. And then he continues. He says, you say that your family worked hard to put you in your position. So did mine. I was born in Iraq in 1961. My family moved to effing Denmark when I was a child after a series of rejected immigration applications, forced separations, and the turmoil in my birth country pushed my family to our limits. I finished my education here, married a beautiful Danish girl, and had two amazing children, and built my fortune as a self-employed entrepreneur. I am now a multimillionaire like you, Donnie Deutsch. While your good fortune began with your father's success, I credit my good fortune to effing Denmark and its robust, inclusive social system that values equality and opportunity for everyone. Unlike the United States, my country has embraced an advanced social tax system that requires people like me to pay substantial and increasingly progressive levels of tax. The people of Effing Denmark use these funds to invest in the people of Effing Denmark. Our tax revenues give everyone health care, education, and a strong social support system, among other things. You know, Americans are waking up to this. That, you know, Donnie Deutsch, notwithstanding, the United States becoming Effing Denmark wouldn't be such a terrible thing. So, anyway, this is what's going on right now in our politics. Meanwhile, and we'll get into this as well, we've got the climate crisis, 11,000 scientists talking about that. We've got Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows are now taking on the the role of pit bulls, pro-Trump. Oh, you know, we had one witness who said that there was no quid pro quo, a.k.a. bribery and extortion. We had one witness who said that. And there, and you know, and Trump said that, and Zelensky said that. So therefore, there's not, you know, nothing. Don't don't look at this. You know, it's it, don't pull back that curtain. I am the great and powerful Oz. Yeah, it's incredible. This is the Tom Hartman program. We'll be back with more of the news of the day and your calls in just a moment. Just optimistic or are you uh, still a little concerned about next year? <music> Jackie in Minneapolis. Hey Jackie, what's on your mind today?
4: Yeah, I'm just curious with your thoughts on whether the uh, Virginia wins like prompt them to pass a uh,
3: presidential popular vote referendum, put uh, Virginia on the list? Oh, that would be a good one. I don't know. And I haven't seen any polling on that, but it wouldn't surprise me if they did. We've got to really start pushing this. Fairvote.org, by the way, is the website. And, And for people who don't know what you're talking about, Jackie, basically right now, because we have the Electoral College, it's all a matter of running for president. It is all a matter of getting, now it's down to a half a dozen, you know, not even that quite, maybe four or five swing states that are fought over because they've got enough electoral votes that they could swing things. If we wanted to get rid of the Electoral College, the problem is it's in the Constitution. But if the majority of states, in terms of the electoral votes, if, you know, more than 50% of the states, were to say we will cast our electoral votes for whomever gets the majority vote in the United States across the country. If that was to happen and we've got I'm not sure exactly where we're at right now. I don't Do you know, Jackie, exactly how many states are needed? How many more votes, electoral votes, are still needed? No, but what concerns
4: me is they've been saying that a Democrat could win the popular vote by as much as five million
3: votes and still lose the election. To Donald Trump, yeah, next year. Yes. (laughs) And that's an extreme example, but uh, certainly you know, the losing by three million votes or winning by three million votes, which is what Hillary Clinton did, and then lose the general election, is extremely possible. And this is, in fact, this is the strategy that the Republicans are employing. So what the fairvote.org thing was is states through their legislatures, this, they're doing this legislatively, states are agreeing that whichever candidate gets the majority of the popular vote across the United States, that state will designate all its electoral votes for that candidate, because while the Constitution establishes the Electoral College, the other thing that they did, and this was part of really it was a good government thing, it was you know trying to avoid you know people of low character. I think was the phrase that Hamilton used in the Federalist Papers. It was so that the electors could get to know the candidates because you know the United States was a big country and uh, a lot of these people you know were were more regional candidates and so most people didn't even know who they were voting for and so the electors would get to know the candidates and they would be like the wise elders they would decide you know well this guy really isn't that good and therefore what's written into the constitution is that the electors don't actually have to cast their electoral ballots for the candidate that they were elected to represent, essentially. And uh, this is called faithless electors. But this is institutionalizing faithless electors so that whoever wins the majority wins the country, period, full stop. And the Democrats have been pushing for this for, geez it's been what 20 years jackie something like that i mean this goes back to the late 90s the early 2000s yeah somewhere in that neighborhood and it's just a matter of getting a couple more states and my apologies that i don't know the numbers off the top of my head but but it's a good one that's a good one jackie thank you for bringing that up it's something that we need to be paying attention to there are also some clouds on the horizon at the same time that we're seeing this really really good news from so many of these races all around the country really you know with kentucky flipping, you know, assuming that this holds. I mean, right now it's, we'll see. Uh, Andy Bashir it's around five, 6,000 votes, something like that, the margin of victory. And so the question is, you know, is there going to be some surprise coming in? So far, it doesn't look like it. And of course, this is where Donald Trump went earlier this week to beg people to vote for him. And he had all these people behind him wearing t-shirts that said, read the transcript, which is like, read my indictment. <laughs> it's amazing. Anyhow, the bad news, the gray, you know, the, the, the gray cloud on the horizon that we need to keep track of here. And this is something of, in my opinion, considerable consequence. This is an article in Politico, politico.com. And the headline is, false attacks on Facebook could bring a titanic-sized disaster in 2020. Now, it was lies on Facebook that helped elect Donald Trump. And, you know, this time, instead of relying on people outside the country to buy those lying ads, apparently the Trump campaign is buying them themselves. False news reports that attack U.S. politicians have been viewed more than 150 million times on Facebook since the beginning of this year. The analysis from the group Avaz says that most of these ads, these false ads, are targeting political figures like House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. They're still widely available on Facebook. The study also notes a growing sophistication in how people are being targeted on Facebook. They're moving away from paid ads that are obviously ads, and they're moving toward quote, more complex tactics that rely on presenting would-be voters with traditional shared content that doesn't face the same scrutiny as political ads. Sharing of these false reports was part of a wider online deception campaign. Uh, the campaign director at Avaz says we're heading toward a titanic-sized disaster. Facebook is not being transparent about this problem. This is bad news. we are
2: listening to the Tom Hartman Programme.
3: As we head toward the weekend and anticipate maybe a little more physical activity and aches and pains, now might be a good time to stock up on some CBD oil from New Leaf Naturals. CBD oil doesn't get you high. Um, It is non-toxic, but it has potent pain relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. And the brand that I use is New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals and New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil oil on the market. It's 100% organic, it's highly concentrated, has no additional additives, it's grown right here in the USA, and the only ingredient is hemp, so the product remains in its most pure and simple form and is completely legal. Go to NewLeafNaturals.com, that's N-U-LeafNaturals.com, and get 30% off and free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, it's spelled T-H-O-M, go to nuleafnaturals.com. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's only one place NewleafNaturals.com. NU LeafNaturals.com. That's NewleafNaturals.com. Kathy in Los Angeles. Hey, Kathy, what's on your mind today?
5: I have a simple solution for the Facebook problem. Okay. Okay, uh, maybe because I was born in Birmingham, Alabama, I don't know. I'd just say, we all just don't do Facebook. Mine has cobwebs on it. Yeah. Just let it go. Yeah. I, I mean, if, if, it is, if they do not care about the United States of America, if they are that unpatriotic, then, I mean, I use lots of other things to communicate so we don't
3: even need them. Yeah, I'm kind of there too. Although I got to say, you know, since Facebook canceled my personal, my private personal account <laughs> that I was just using to follow, you know, my three brothers' children and and my three brothers for that matter, and my own kids and some Instagram. distant cousins and stuff. Well, I don't know that they're on mm-hmm. Instagram, and Instagram's owned by Facebook anyway. That's another part of the monopoly strategy that Zuckerberg has been uh, following. But at first, I kind of mourned it. You know, the loss of it. You know, mm-hmm. and I was wondering, and a couple of old friends from college, too, who, you know, post regularly on Facebook. and But now it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I, you know, I moved the app. You know, I haven't taken it off my phone yet, but I'm going to uh, probably next week. You know, I moved it off my main page, and I'm just like, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm there. Kathy, uh, you know, that is, that, is, that is a solution. Thank you very much for the call. It's great to hear from you. Carol in Hemet, California. Hey, Carol, what's on your mind today? You
5: asked if we were encouraged, discouraged by the elections what, what that turned What do you think out. this means? Yeah, specifically in Kentucky, I just heard that the President of the Senate announced that it is the law in Kentucky that when a um, an election is contested, the two state houses they decide, which is very unfortunate since in Kentucky, since they are still both controlled by Republicans.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure. That that makes me feel very discouraged. (laughs) Yeah, they they may decide if it's contested, but I don't think that this is contested. I mean, it's, uh, well, well, I guess we'll see. Carol, thank you for that tip. I have not seen that story, but I'll go looking for it during the break. Thank you very much. Welcome back. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today?
6: Hey, Tom, you were asking about the meaning of the uh, election results, and uh, what occurred to me, I mean, my general topic title is The Cyclic Nature of Fashion, and that being political fashion. I wonder if, like fashion, certain things, did I lose you?
3: No, I'm still here. Uh, I just muted my mic because it sounds like they're mowing the lawn outdoors.
6: Yeah, I guess so, yeah the cyclic nature of fashion, things come in and they go out, and then some things go out forever. Like, I don't think we'll see the resurgence of the three-cornered hat, really. But you know what I mean in the, the cyclic nature of fashion. And sure. in political fashion, a couple things occur to me. I'm familiar with the concept that there are people that think that if you just keep doing the wrong thing over and over and try to do it better, eventually it will work. It will finally work. And what I was thinking about with regard to we keep talking about the social safety nets, and we need to have, and I think we need to stop talking about them as safety nets. I mean, let's stop doing a high wire act and just start taking care of people, and then we don't call it a safety net. We call it a it's a it's a it's a, a new it's a new political fashion concept that we don't talk about taking care of people as safety nets. Let's just make it all safe. Because, for instance, for me as a blind person, I don't find it comforting to have a safety net. You know, those a safety net in case you fall off something. I don't want to take the fall, right? I'm yeah, but it's
3: a metaphor that I think everybody can understand. I mean, good metaphors are visual and and you know, well, this one is actually visual and kinesthetic. It's something people can get, Paul. And I think that when people think of falling into the safety net, they think about losing their jobs, for example. And do you have an alternative metaphor?
6: Well. I guess I'm thinking about it just being as uh, we take care of people.
3: How about a New Deal or a great society? I mean, those were metaphors that essentially were talking about the social safety net, but didn't use that language.
6: Okay, well, let me say this. Let's not think of it as I've lost my job, because everybody changes jobs. You go from one job to another. But when we think of it as, oh, you lost your job, that means, yeah, you're falling, you're in trouble. In other words, you're not taken care of. So, to have it, the idea is that, well, but we have a safety net for you. How about we think of it as things like health care and things that you're going to lose that you're terrified to lose? as just being, these are the uh, this is the infrastructure of our society, and that's the political fashion that I'm talking about.
3: Yeah. No, I, I, I get it, and I understand your sentiment, and I don't disagree with it at all. I do think that the, the branding is necessary, I guess, is, is what I'm arguing for. And I think that metaphors are useful in branding, but I get what you're saying. Paul, thanks a lot for the call. And a lot in the news, but Congressman Mark Pocan is with us. Congressman Pocan, of course, is the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the state of Wisconsin and the U.S. House of Representatives. His website is pokan.house.gov, and you can tweet him at RepMarkPokan. Congressman Pokan, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. So great having you with us. I really appreciate you doing this and uh, you know, having this national town hall meeting with us. So let's pick up our phone calls here. At Steve in New Boston, Michigan, you're on the air with Congressman Pokan.
4: Hello Tom. Hello Congressman. Uh this Thank is you. a call today in regards to the call that I made with you, Tom, last week when I was wondering if I was a registered voter and you gave me good advice on how to Contact my Secretary of State's office, and I did exactly said, answered five simple questions, and it came back and said, Yes, I am a registered voter, but I also vote by absentee ballot. So I contacted my county clerk's office to be sure that I was going to receive a ballot in the mail and I can vote this way. And the interesting thing is that the county clerk's office said, Everybody in the state of Michigan can now vote by absentee ballot. You don't have to be a certain age, you don't have to have a physical disability. All you have to do is request the form, and they'll send it to you. So I'm thinking if the whole country had this option, wouldn't this help stop this gerrymandering that everybody could vote, that our votes would be counted? Well, Well, Steve, a couple things.
7: Yeah, first of all, different states and different localities have different rules, and we've gone through a number of different ones in Wisconsin ourselves. So people really need to know what the rule is in their area, especially around absentee voting, because a lot of people have tried to make it more difficult in their efforts to try to, again, pick who's actually going to be voting as opposed to Voters coming out and picking their elected officials, but it, it wouldn't really affect gerrymandering. And it's still, while I, I think what you're saying is it would require a paper ballot, you'd have that paper receipt. That's what we're trying to do through, I think, two or three bills now we've sent to the Senate in the United States across the country anyway, because we think uh, with electronic voting machines and the potential for hacking, we want to have that same receipt, that same paper ballot that you would send in as an absentee voter so to that point uh, yes i think it's helpful to have the paper ballot but it still doesn't address gerrymandering gerrymandering we're gonna have to address legislature by legislature
3: going into the next few years ginger in corning california you are on the air with it's congressman G-
5: it's ginger ginger thank vice. you my question is there's an exception in the irs tax code for disabled veterans who get student loan forgiveness Unfortunately, right now, the IRS is coming after me for a bill saying that we didn't pay taxes on the forgiven loan portion. I've responded now twice to the IRS. I'm not seeming to get anywhere. Could we please have some clarity on this?
7: Yeah, Ginger, you are a classic example of someone who should be reaching out to your member of Congress or your U.S. Senator for assistance. You know, an agency like the IRS is already difficult to navigate for the amount of people that have staffing general calls from a country of 335 million people, but... We really have the. For those who remember, understand this reference, the bat phone, the, the way to get right to the agency and to the right people to navigate your problem. And I tell people, do this early. It's much better that you reach out to your member of Congress to get this resolved than you wait months and months and months, and then fines might increase or whatever because something could just be wrong in the process. You are the exact candidate. Of who should call your member of Congress, and this is casework that we all do and can get resolution for you very likely. Uh, You can't change the law. But we can absolutely get your resolution.
3: Is it our, isn't the magic phrase "constituent services"? You call your member of Congress and say, "May I speak with somebody with constituent services?" Or
2: is that? Yeah, our
7: casework is the other term. Casework. I think, Interchangeably, okay. yeah, because yeah. we have three caseworkers. You know, for example, and a, mm-hmm. and a manager who deal with that specific part. And honestly, Tom, in many ways, that's the most rewarding parts of my job, especially when the Republicans are in control for my first six years here. And you know, we were just fighting, trying to stop them from doing bad things. Right now, that is one area where we really do have true successes. I've had people just who wait so very long, and if there's any message I have for anyone who has any issue from veterans affairs, IRS, your passport, we get lots of calls. You name it, reach out to us early um, because it still is a complicated process with any you know form of government but we can help you and we can cut through that and uh we've helped people get 10 years of back pay due and in you know veterans benefits all sorts of stuff the sooner you reach
3: out to a member of congress to help you the more quickly you'll get it resolved don in harrington delaware you're on the earth congressman pocan
6: hey congressman it's, uh, it looks like the democratic party didn't learn from uh, 2016 with it coming out, uh, what was it, yesterday, or day before yesterday, saying, is there anybody else out there besides the 20 candidates that uh, we can get to run for president? Are they trying to screw Bernie over again? And are we going to Are the superdelegates going to screw Bernie over in the second uh, voting? at the party, because there's not going to be,
3: somebody's not going to get 51%. Well, or it could be Liz Warren, too. I mean, she's rising in the polls. I think that's got them freaked out as well, Congressman.
7: Yeah. Well, first of all, Don, I want to be real clear. The Democratic Party's not doing that, all right? This is, because I've talked to several reporters on this. Someone wrote an article, and they're all chasing the article about Hillary Clinton. She's in the news. She must be talking about running, when she also has a book out. She's marketing and hawking and trying to make money on, and uh, I think that has started this narrative. So I got reporter calls this this week saying, well, is there room for another candidate? Do you need another candidate? And I, the answer is no. Well, we already have like 20-some folks. I mean, if someone wants to get in they can, I don't think it's – the timing is very smart for anyone. In fact, we're trying to get the field uh, down a little bit for some of the folks that really aren't registering. But that is not a Democratic Party initiative. This is, you know, the 24-7, you know, corporate press corps following – one article about this and the fact that hillary clinton is selling a book somehow equating to her getting into the race and we're just kind of dealing with the fallout from that so i don't know anyone who's looking for additional candidates in a real way this is just a story that they're all chasing to be you know one person wrote it they all got to have their version of it and i think it'll be over
3: in 48 hours yeah i had completely forgotten she was on book tour i was uh, you know i was wondering what the hell's going on yeah that makes perfect sense You're listening to
2: Tom Hartman.
3: Breaking news, I finally found a topic everyone can agree on. No matter what party you support, the ideas you believe in, or the opinions you have, we all agree that aging stinks. Under eye bags, fine lines, wrinkles, crow's feet, no one can escape it. Luckily, I found just the product to help. It's called Plexiderm Rapid Reduction Serum, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates all your key signs of aging. And the best part is, it works in minutes. Now that's newsworthy no bias here plexaderm works i tried it and you should too no invasive surgeries no complications and the best part is no one has to know you're wearing it. I am so amazed by my results. I look just like me, but younger. Go to triplexiderm.com and use my code TOM, T-H-O-M, for 50% off plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code TOM, T-H-O-M. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today and use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, at checkout. That's triplexiderm.com code Tom. Karen in Scranton, Pennsylvania, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thanks for watching Free Speech TV.
1: Hi, Congressman Pocan. Um, I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about the Shield Act.
7: Yes, it's um, another effort that we're trying to get at to deal with uh, Russian involvement in our elections this is now i think our third probably major attempt uh to try to address what's happening and uh you know we we've, we've got this huge problem uh with mitch mcconnell we have sent now i'm guessing it's probably 260 maybe even 70 bills to the senate of which by about a month ago they had passed 38 of them and the senate's only passed about 60 bills that includes hr1 which is our most comprehensive um, elections, campaign finance, and ethics reform bill. We pen to, spent a, sent another bill that specifically dealt with Russian involvement. We keep sending things, hoping they'll pick one of these up, because it should be nonpartisan what we're trying to deal with on this. If they don't want to talk about the big reforms in H.R. 1, let's talk about the specifics about other countries getting involved. And we're just not getting through yet with Mitch McConnell. So... We're going to keep trying. We're passing all kinds of stuff. In fact, if I can just take a quick aside, Tom, you know, the president putting out the do-nothing Democrats, that number I mentioned includes bills from uh, protecting people with pre-existing conditions, addressing pharmaceutical drug costs, uh, dealing with gun violence prevention, uh, trying to increase people's paychecks, $15 minimum wage, uh, addressing income inequality, women making 80 cents on the dollar, and on and on and on. Those are all meaty bills we've sent, and we're still doing. We're going to have a big pharmaceutical bill in the next month, none of this is getting through the Senate. So it's a, a do-nothing Senate followed by a know-nothing president. Uh, that's our real problem, and it's not the Democrats sending things over.
3: Yeah, none of it's getting through the media, unfortunately, and he's using Harry Truman's line. You know, that, that's, how, that's how Truman won the election of 48. So, Peter, in Cambridge, uh, Wisconsin. Do I have that right, or is it Madison, Wisconsin, Peter?
4: I am calling about something that a uh, local concern in Wisconsin, but has national implications, and that is the way our legislature is uh, kind of running roughshod over uh, our governor. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the legislature is pretty uh, gerrymandered, and I'm wondering what are we going to do about redistricting? Um, how how is that how is that uh, uh, going? The, the fight to um, have fair redistricting.
3: Right, and in that context, it was undoing gerrymandering in Virginia, basically, that allowed the Democrats to take control of the state because they won two hundred. They, they they had won control in the last election by over two hundred thousand votes, but because of gerrymandering, the Republicans continue to hold control. Congressman.
7: Yeah, this is the big issue. Um, this is the issue that I think if you care about good government, you've got to care about gerrymandering because of all the other effects it has. And what we're seeing, um, as Peter mentioned, it's not just Wisconsin, it's across the country, that if you don't have fair maps, uh, essentially politicians are picking their voters rather than the other way around and that is a a real problem so um in wisconsin specifically we have a gerrymandered state legislature tom as you know uh... they're gonna draw maps i assume in a very gerrymandered way uh... if they do that our democratic governor can veto that but then it ultimately will go to the courts. and we have uh, by a pretty slight margin a conservative leaning supreme court so um we don't really exactly know, Peter, at this point, what the courts will do and what that next step will mean, but this is why it's so important in every single state that we have fair maps, and that can mean citizen panels or others drawing them rather than politicians. I think that's a great way to go.
3: Josh in Virginia Beach, Virginia, you're on the air with Congressman Pokan.
0: Yeah, Congressman Pokan, I just want to thank you very much for your uh, bold progressive leadership, particularly on issues like Medicare for All and Green New Deal, um, it's really great to have that, um, at, you know, Thank up there you, in Congress. We need many more like that. You know, the, what, what, my question for you is how can we uh, encourage progressives like us, uh, rank and file voters, to focus more on encouraging each other to run for, you know, local office and state office and, c- and Congress at all levels of government and party leadership seats for bottom-up political revolution, I'm not. I know that you know we. Many people here talk about this, and many people here are focused on it. But I think rank-and-file voters, if you look on Facebook or something, you know they don't really. Talk, they talk about Bernie. They talk about national topics, which is very important. Yeah. But I think not enough about uh, about running or encouraging each other to run because then we don't get quite as many people running because uh, they don't perceive that much support. And right now we're in filing periods. They've just started, and we need everybody to get on the ballot. So how can we encourage them? How can we make this a viral topic because then we'll win?
7: Yeah. Absolutely, Josh. First of all, congratulations. Thank like you. You said you're from Virginia. Uh, you had great results yesterday. Uh, Democrats picked up the House and the Senate, and um, we appreciate all the work all the folks did in Virginia. You're right. So many of us, started uh in local government. I mean, you can't necessarily start at running for Congress unless you're a multimillionaire uh or you have a huge name ID or you've been in local office. Those are uh, probably the 80 to 90% of the members coming to Congress with one of those backgrounds and the one for most uh, people it's they get elected in local government, um, city councils, county boards, town boards, school boards, uh, all sorts of those kind of offices. It's really important that people get involved. If you don't have a seat at the table, you're likely on the menu is the saying that Ann Richards used to say and I think it's very true, right? And uh, the more we can convince people that if they care about Medicare for All uh or the Green New Deal, you can actually impact those issues at the local level quicker than we will at the federal level.
3: There you go. Matt in yeah. Vancouver, Washington, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan.
0: I'd like to yeah. know why more Democrats aren't asking Republicans if they would be okay with democratic governors in uh democratic states say calling the state police and withholding funds for the state police in an effort to get dirt on republican opponents in their states and why more democrats aren't pushing that more of a messaging question for republicans thank you
3: use a metaphor interesting
7: yeah yeah, I mean, I think you know, the one thing you'll find often politicians don't answer rhetorical questions because um, you we're told not to, and you might find them finding good ways to evade it. But you're right. If you can show a concrete example that people can understand what's a similar situation, if nothing else, that question makes the point and might be a pretty substantial way of trying to explain exactly what the president did.
3: So it would be like a governor withholding money from the state police until the state police busts his political opponent. Basically.
7: Exactly,
3: yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's a pretty grim scenario. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan.
4: Yeah, hi. Uh, I'm wondering why some forms of bribery are still accepted, one being uh, ambassadorships. You give me money, I'll give you. It's such an important job. Ask April Glaspie that they they there are people working in the state department or their wives and then they have to be ruled by somebody who has money is ridiculous um another form of bribery is uh, Mitch McConnell's wife under two presidents uh he the, his wife becomes secretary because he's had he's a, a leader of the Senate and under Bush uh Chow uh was the labor secretary when they were losing seven hundred and fifty thousand jobs a month and then she becomes transportation and her father's in uh, shipping. It's all too uh um, crooked as as far as I can
7: see. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, Bill, I think you make a good critique of our current campaign finance system uh, that we have, because uh, that is exactly the problem, is that there can be a perception at any time uh, of someone who's giving a big amount of money that wants something, when we really should be the best people for the positions, not the person who gave a big check like we saw with Ambassador Sondland, who gave a million dollars to the inaugural. So, um I think you make a strong point, and I think, uh, you know, when I was in the Wisconsin legislature, I was a supporter of 100% public financing. I still think that's a good, strong, valid way to go. The good thing is you can do those kind of experiments at the local and state level still, and I would encourage people who care about those issues to try to enact those things in their localities.
3: Mary, on the air.
5: Yes, yes. I just wanted to uh, find out what Mark's thoughts were on something I read in the newspaper today. I'm we got rid of Scott Walker, but now our Senate is just really handicapping this governor that we have. Last night, its I read it in the paper that um, they turned down his appointee for the uh, agricultural secretary, and this has never been done since 1987, and uh, they limited the government's, governor's partial veto veto authority because he used his veto authority to put more money back into the school uh, system. They they had taken out $630 per pupil, and he wanted to add 63 more back in. So now they want to um, handicap his veto authority. Also, um, they, they refused to listen to funding for homeless shelter today it's 30 degrees here in madison and um, they said they'll take it up in january
3: it seems mary thank you for that congressman it seems like you've got a real mess there in wisconsin by the way we're getting reports that the republicans in virginia uh, under virginia law if an election is quote contested end quote it goes to the house and senate who decide who won and they're both controlled by Mm -hmm. republicans um Uh, in kentucky i'm sorry if i said virginia i'm not kentucky um so it's like the republicans are up to their their tricks uh, in multiple states it appears
7: well yeah this is the only way they can win because the people don't agree with them on the policies um so they're going to use everything else they have in order to continue to have power so in wisconsin uh, we're a seriously gerrymandered state fifty four percent of people voted for a Democrat for the state assembly uh last year and they only got thirty six percent of the seats. So that just shows you the amount of gerrymandering we have here. The same is true for our congressional districts. And uh you're watching Republicans who also seem to, if not think they're above the law, they think they're above the rules at least in Wisconsin and they're trying to do everything they can to take away power from a democratically elected and small D democratically elected uh pres uh, I'm sorry, governor. So um This is a problem that we have here. We have it in some other states, and I think that's one reason why in Wisconsin, Tom, we're so close to them having a supermajority that it's going to be really important uh, 2020 in the fall, not just that uh, Wisconsin is blue for the presidential races, but also we don't let them get a supermajority that would completely take away a Democratic governor's
3: ability to govern. Wow. Congressman Bogan, thanks so much for being with us. Sure,
2: absolutely. Thank you. This is the Tom
3: Hartman Program. Our book today is The Embattled Vote in America, From the Founding to the Present by Alan J. Lichtman. This is from the introduction titled Voters and non On February 18, 1965, advocates for the voting rights of disenfranchised African Americans ordered a rare nighttime march in the small town of Marion, Alabama, part of the state's black belt, to protest the jailing of James Orange. Prosecutors had charged Orange with contributing to the delinquency of minors after he enlisted students in voter registration drives. Alabama state troopers responded to the protest by beating peaceful demonstrators with billy clubs and sending terrified marchers fleeing into the night. Some sought refuge from police violence in a nearby restaurant, Max Cafe. State troopers followed them into the establishment, however, and one of those troopers, James Bonnard Fowler, fatally shot an unarmed 26-year-old black voting rights worker, Jimmy Lee Jackson. Insisting that Jackson had reached for a gun, Fowler claimed self-defense. Eyewitnesses told a very different story. They said that Jackson was trying to protect his mother from police violence and that Fowler shot him deliberately and without provocation. While Jackson languished in a hospital for eight days before dying from his wound, Alabama officials issued a warrant for his arrest for the assault of a police officer. They did not arrest, indict, or discipline Fowler, or even release his name to the public. Fowler remained on the state police force, and a year later he shot and killed another unarmed black man, Nathan Johnson Jr., during an altercation at the Alabaster City Jail. State police officials were quick to purge both killings from Fowler's personnel file, but fired him in 1968 for assaulting his white police supervisor. In 2007, as part of a federal-state effort to reopen cold cases in the Civil Rights era, Alabama prosecutors indicted the 73-year-old Fowler for murder. Two weeks before trial was set to begin in 2010, Fowler pleaded guilty to manslaughter and served five months of a six-month sentence. Fowler died in 2015, 50 years after killing Jimmy Lee Jackson. Americans were dying for the vote more than 175 years after the nation's founding. Because the framers made a consequential mistake when they drafted the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, the Constitution's first ten amendments. They failed to enshrine in these pivotal documents of our democracy the right to vote, not just for men or even only white men, but for any American. Among many enumerated rights that the government cannot abridge, the right to vote remained conspicuously absent and remains so to this day. All subsequent amendments protecting the voting rights of racial minorities, women and young people, the 15th Amendment on race, the 19th Amendment on sex, 26th Amendment on age, are framed negatively, stipulating not what the states must do to ensure people's voting rights in America's Democratic Republic, but what they cannot do. Jimmy Lee Jackson died, one could plausibly argue, because the political leaders who drafted these amendments perpetuated the framers' mistake of failing to establish an affirmative right to vote. Jackson died because white supremacists who controlled Southern governments had circumvented the 15th Amendment's prohibition against denying the right to vote, quote, on account of race, color, or condition of previous servitude. They did so through patently discriminatory, although seemingly race neutral restrictions such as poll taxes and literacy tests. As the pioneers of modern democracy, the founders understood that the right to vote grounds all other rights that it empowers Americans to become participants in government rather than mere petitioners. But it was their omission of voting rights that triggered a war over America's embattled vote that continues to rage in the halls of Congress and in the courtrooms of federal judges. Yet, as in Marion, Alabama, it has spilled into the streets too, with life and death at stake in the ongoing struggle for people's right to consent in their governing. Opposition to voting rights for all Americans has revolved around three critical issues. Despite the revolutionary rallying cry of no taxation without representation for most of U.S. history, the American political leadership has considered suffrage not a natural right, but a privilege bestowed by government on a political community restricted by considerations of wealth, sex, race, residence, literacy, criminal conviction, and citizenship. The notion of privileged access to the vote survives into our own time, albeit in subtler forms than in the past." Since the early republic, proponents of a limited vote have waved the banner of voter fraud in earlier times to justify the disenfranchisement of supposedly corruptible people, such as the propertyless workers, women, racial minorities, or immigrants. Today, it is the allegations of such forms of alleged election fraud as voter impersonation, repeat voting, voting by non citizens, or balloting in the name of dead people that are used to justify restrictive measures like voter photo ID laws. Or draconian purges of registration rolls. Numerous studies have documented that such voter fraud is vanishingly small in recent elections, but the outcry continues as loudly as ever. Disputes over the vote have been intensely partisan, with principal justifications for voting restrictions functioning as thinly masked attempts to favor one party over another. From the end of Reconstruction through the early 20th century, for example, It was the lily white Democratic Party that benefited politically from suppressing the African-American vote. In recent years, the partisan calculations have reversed as African-Americans have become the most reliable of Democratic voters and Republicans have come to depend on the white vote. The book, The Embattled Vote in America by Alan J. Lichtman. Tom in Aurora, Colorado. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind today? I was just curious, you know, if we have a fundamental problem in our voting
4: system in terms of needing accountability paper ballots, how does that argument get pushed forward where we can actually get these kind of
3: essential, basic changes made so we know our vote is correct? Yeah. You're seeing positive movement in the states that are controlled by Democrats. Here in Oregon, up in in Washington state, we have these, I, I think we're the only two states in the union now. That have 100% mail-in voting, and so every every single ballot is a paper ballot that's been hand hand um, You know, somebody called a couple of weeks ago and said, "Oh, gee, there's the you know they got this new voting thing here where you you uh, do the electronic voting machine and it prints your ballot for you." And and I thought uh-huh. that that it was printing an actual ballot, uh, you know, that just looked identical to what they chose. Um, but it turns out it's also got a little barcode on it and what the thing is reading is apparently just the barcode and so it's still a black box system and as long as these voting companies are running these black box systems where we really don't know that our vote is being counted and these voting machine companies are so heavily tied into the republican party in some cases uh, explicitly tied into the republican party you know, I think we've got a really serious problem and, and uh, you know, it's something we need to face. Tom, thank you for the call. Morris in Long Beach, California. Hey, Morris, what's on your mind today? Uh,
2: Professor, I got a question for you. You know, we've got uh, the progressive. they have got some bold proposals going on right now, uh, health care protections, for example. If the Senate does not change and mitch mcconnell is still you know the grim reaper still in the position he's in now What's the difference between those proposals and the 200 pieces of legislation that is sitting in his cemetery right now
3: none and that's and that's why we have to get as many of our friends and neighbors as possible to make sure that they are Register to vote, double check their voter registration. I mean, you know, we just did Georgia just last week, uh, apparently, pulled it off. I, I saw the articles that it was coming. I, I didn't know that they had done it, but, uh, you know, a caller this morning said they had. Um, you know, I need to double check that. But, you know, they're planning, uh, you know, Brian Kemp, the governor down there, is planning on throwing another 300,000 people off the voting rolls. And of course, it'll be disproportionately people of color, uh, uh, you know, principally African Americans and Hispanics. And, and Asians too. You know, anybody with with relatively common names. You know, Ohio is in the process of purging two hundred thousand people, and the Supreme Court has said that that's just
2: fine. I mean, this is this is huge stuff. This is really huge what stuff, you- Morris. Not to sound sadistic, okay, but let's given given that that's that's kind of been like our culture from day one. But I got a belief that my brothers and sisters, my Caucasian brothers and sisters, they wake it up and smell in the coffee, right um, But I just wanted to uh, let uh, talk to you about the structural protections that corporations have, that the uh, structural uh, demons that prevent people from getting what they want. How many times have you called off statistics for the things that people want in this country? We can't make it come to pass. Yeah. So this guy is still in the position that he's in now, right? Uh you know the proposals for health care that Miss Warren or or my boy Bernie or any anything that's not right wing, it's not gonna go anywhere. And I was just wondering, you know, but you admit what I like about you you went right to it. You answered it, then you qualified it. This is why I would say this I got an idea. Right? I got an idea. What the DNC needs to do is go get Roger Stone. That's what I said, go get Roger Stone and give him a job and turn him loose on Miss McConnell in Kentucky. Okay, Roger, going to do your thing <laughs> yeah. Kentucky on, on uh, the Lord ain't in this one. Do you ain't listening? And then and Roger, going to handle your business, whatever you want. Get rid of it because of the, the, the structure, institutional. There's it, it, not much we can do. The talking and the rhetoric and get hold of the power. And maybe they got a thing called the bully pulpit. The bully pulpit. But I mean, it take one heck of a bully, don't you think, to get Miss McConnell to move?
3: Well, the thing that's missing from this, this whole conversation, Morris, and and I know that you know this. Is is the power of money in politics, and the fact that the Supreme Court legalized bribery, legalized the ownership of politicians by billionaires and big corporations, and so it's not just that you know uh, we're not getting the people that we want elected, and it's not just that they're able to use uh, you know to ignore the law and throw people out the voting rolls and things like that, and they're blocking any attempts to reform that. But that there's this ocean, this river of money that is pouring into, you know, pouring into, into Republican candidates and and Republican state systems to keep things this way.
2: Well, it just, just hit me after my goodness. It, uh, I remember when Barack Obama uh, was saying he's going to close Guantanamo. I think they got four or five guys over there, and Guantanamo is still open. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, gee whiz, if we can't get Guantanamo closed, how are we going to get?
3: Yeah. Yeah. If we can't get Guantanamo closed, how are we, how are we going to get health care reform? It's going to take a lot of people. Morris, thank you for the call. I think that, you know, Guantanamo, the existence or non-existence of Guantanamo doesn't hit the average person the way that their prescription drug prices or having to, having to spend, you know, a thousand bucks if they take the kid to the ER does. So hopefully we'll see some change. Ann in Lakeland, Florida. Hey, Ann, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind
2: today? Well,
1: this just does tail nicely with the guy about the voting before. Yesterday, the city of New York had an uh, amendment that passed, and it dealt with ranked choice voting. Right here in Florida, it could come up as a uh, an amendment in twenty twenty for us.
3: You mean a ballot it, initiative? Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: It seems to be a rather hard concept. To get your head wrapped around, could you explain what it is?
3: Sure. Uh, let's use the example of uh, the 2000 election, okay? Because you know everybody kind of knows that that was uh, you know uh, Al Gore versus uh, George W. Bush, but Ralph Nader was in the mix. And so basically, the way it worked out is if you voted for Ralph Nader, and over 90,000 people did in Florida, um, you were handing a vote. To George W. Bush, and that's how that, frankly, did work out. And uh, so, with ranked choice voting, what you would say is, uh, say me, I'm I'm a big Ralph Nader fan. I am uh, Ralph Nader's a friend of mine, and so I would choose Ralph Nader as my first choice, but I would choose Al Gore as my second choice. So when the votes are tabulated, if uh, neither candidate has a, a a clear victory, if there's not a clear winner as a as a consequence of it, then my vote for Ralph Nader would get thrown out, and my second choice would become my vote. So my vote would go to Al Gore. Not if there wasn't a clear winner, but if Ralph Nader wasn't in contention for the top two or the top three, then that vote would go away, and my vote would go to my second choice. And you can do third choice, fourth choice. It depends on how it's done, but that's called ranked choice voting or first pass, or, or, um, uh, you know, there's another word for it, but anyway, ranked choice voting works. Does it make sense, Ann?
1: Yes, uh, I have a question on that then. Mm -hmm. What do you then have to have in your voting laws a certain percentage or what to avoid runoffs would you need?
3: Right, Um, I don't know. This is sometimes called instant runoff voting. So basically the runoff is happening within the vote itself by you know saying, okay, people's first choices are not making it, so their second choice is what we're going to count. Um, uh, ex- the, the, the micro detail of how that's done is something that um, I'm not as smart on <laughs> as I wish I was. I need, we should get somebody on to explain this better than I can explain it, Anne. And in fact, thank you for bringing that up. Jim in Minneapolis, listening on AM 950. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind today?
1: Hi, Tom. I've been uh, warming up to um, Andrew Yang, and mm-hmm. I specifically like his uh, freedom dividend, and I think see if you could shoot a hole in my hypothesis that once Americans get a taste of that freedom dividend, they will never want to give it up, and that bodes well for the progressive movement for the
3: future. Well, it depends. I mean, there are some libertarians who are promoting the freedom dividend or or the you know the so-called universal basic income, and their pitch is that let's do away with Social Security, let's do away with Medicare, let's do away with Medicaid, let's do away with food stamps, let's do away with Section 8 housing, let's do away with all that stuff and replace it with one simple check that people get every month. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, now you've got everybody by the by the uh, proverbial short hairs. And I have some wariness about this, Jim. But uh, Jim, thanks a lot for the call. Terry in Eugene, Oregon. Terry, you've got the last minute. What's up? Greeting, sir. Uh, I was just curious, do you foresee, or
0: is there any legislation coming through that will stop somebody like Donald Trump from ever, ever coming close to the White House again?
3: Well, you know, hopefully just the, the, you know, experience, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Or as George W. Bush said, fool me twice, can't get fooled again. I think that we need to, though once Trump is out of office, we need to give some serious consideration to the powers of the presidency that said i'm sure that you know this is just like with the two santa claus theory you know republicans scream about the debt when they're when there's a democrat the white house they don't talk about it when there's a republican i'm sure that if a democrat is elected in 2020 that the republicans will start screaming about how now is the perfect time to dial back the powers of the presidency and uh, yeah. you know we'll see how that works out. But right. you know, strengthening our election laws, stopping interference in our election laws, having legislation that forces social media and particularly you know companies like Facebook to be more transparent, and more honest. I think all those things are good things, and those are going to come out of this. You know, uh, To a certain extent, Susan Sarandon was right. Uh, we have been shocked by the Trump presidency, and hopefully that shock has, has woken up enough Americans that good stuff will ultimately come out of all this. I'm, I'm an optimist at the end of the day. Thanks so much for being with us today, and don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So tell your friends about progressive media and get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow.